Hi there, my name is Maddie Miles, integrative health practitioner, menstrual cycle educator, clinical herbalist, and founder of Peace Love Hormones. Our mission is to educate and empower menstruators to take back control of their menstrual health through education and through top quality herbal nutraceuticals. And welcome to our amazing podcast show, where we will uncover why your health may be struggling and how to heal your hormones and optimize the health of your entire mind and body naturally. Now let's get to it. Hello, Aviva. Welcome to the Peace Love Hormones podcast. Hello, lovely. It's wonderful to be here with you. And what a fun name for a podcast. It feels so appropriate and perfect. Oh, thank you. I know. I love the name too. I, I actually signed off on all of my podcasts when I first started my podcast two years ago of Peace Love Hormones. And when we were working together, my team and I have like, what do we call uh, you know, I needed a name for my business, for my herbal line. And I was like, what do we call it? And my friend here in Austin, who actually did all of my branding for me, she's like, well, you always say peaceful hormones at the end of your podcast. Like that should be the brand name. And I actually didn't like it at first. I was like, no, I don't think that's it. And uh, anyway, she created like the logos and everything. And I was like, no, that's it. I just needed to like see it. It's throwback, but it also is such a nice thing to say and hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it too. Especially when we lived in Atlanta, anytime we'd leave, you know, visiting a friend. So I was like, peace and love, peace and love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it too, because now whenever someone sees peace, love something, I'll get a picture and either a text message or an Instagram DM. And it's like, they'll cross out the third word and just write hormones over it. And it's just oh. like, that's like my love language. I'm like, thank you. You're thinking of me. <laughs> that is really fun. I love that because it just, that's such a way to fit in with culture and art and visuals. So fun. Exactly. Well, Aviva, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I have been like a little girl before Christmas. I'm like so excited. Um, so I love your work and I'm sure that most people listening already follow your work, especially because I, I actually led a book club a few months ago when we read Hormone Intelligence and just absolutely love your work. So if you could just mm. introduce yourself, here is your space and time to throw in anything that you're working on right now that you're passionate about. And also at the end of that, just talk about why you're passionate about thyroid health, because that's the topic for today. A very juicy one, a very loaded one. We're not going to get to everything about thyroid health. It's a but lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but you have plenty of podcast episodes on it as well and blog posts and a whole book on it. <laughs> so yeah, take it over. Well, I started out um, as a teenager going to college and really quickly, when I was 15, really quickly got exposed to environmental medicine, ecology, food, herbal medicine, and women's studies kind of all at once. And that just lit me up and it became my passion and my work and my whole life. And I think what's really interesting for me now is I started out with this work right? Just, I was 15. So it was just a few years after I started even menstruating. And that kind of took me through learning about my cycles and sexuality and my pregnancies and births, postpartums. And now I'm 56. So I'm solidly menopausal. And what am I excited about? I mean, there's so many things. I think a big piece for me right now is really this idea of a third path in women's health that we kind of all know if we if we're in female bodies and we've had encounters with the conventional medicine we kind of already know what the deficits are there and so we turn to wellness a lot and there's a lot of beauty there but there also can be a lot of misinformation there and then there also might be people who do need the pill or benefit from it or need that cesarean. So this third path is sort of like in a way appropriate technology as Wendell Berry might've talked about or EF Schumacher back in the day on how do we be in the world, in our bodies, in this planet, on this planet and nurture and steward our health, our planetary health and draw from the whole wealth of things that we 
have, but really with a deep understanding and wisdom of when and why, especially when we lean into the more technological pieces. And so that's showing up for me in my work in a few ways now. One, um, kind of almost a return or deep dive into women's health around pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, because we're one of the only two countries in the world where maternal mortality rates are actually going up. And a lot of that is linked to misuse of technology. So really finding ways to help women be deeply empowered around their bodies, their trust, and be like peace, love, and bodies, right? But also not feeling self-judgmental. Or like I've had women who have come up to me after one story comes to mind as I was teaching at a naturopathic conference. I was the keynote and a woman came up. To, there was like a whole line of women and one of the women got to me and she just started crying. And she was talking about how she needed a cesarean for medical reasons. And she was in this online natural mommy group and she kind of got ostracized from the group. They were like, well, if you chose that, she didn't choose it because she wanted it. So finding that balance, that's a big piece. And also another big piece for me is menopause right now. And, you know, we have more nurturance around understanding our cycles that's come up in the last few years. And I think more people paying attention to maternal health. And I think we need that to have this like whole continuity. So for me, it's about creating this online space, books, courses, information, but also care, like actual healthcare that provides continuity from menstruation to menopause. Those are some of the things I'm always interested in food and environment and how that intersects with our health. Thyroid. So I'm like a super science geek. Like I'm a super organic back to the lander. I'm actually looking at my giant vegetable garden from here, although it's covered in snow. <laughs> um, but also I really love the kind of understanding that science brings us in like almost like a microscope into the natural world. And so endocrinology, women's hormones, all super interesting, right? Understanding the science of it along with the intuition of it and the lived experience of it and the tradition and heritage of it. What I didn't expect was when I started my medical practice after so many years of herbalism and midwifery was how many women were really struggling with the symptoms of a thyroid problem, but being dismissed. Oh, you are tired because you're overwhelmed or you're stressed or you're a new mom. Or I had one patient who came to me, this is really horrifying. She had gained like 30 pounds in the last few months and hadn't changed anything. And she wasn't in menopause either. And she had changed nothing about her exercise, her lifestyle. She hadn't been sick that she knew of. And so she went to her doctor, a male doctor, but this could be a female doctor who says stuff like this too. And he said, if you would just control your fork to your mouth problem, you would lose Ooh. that weight and you wouldn't have gained it. Oh my goodness. I was like, WTF, kind of apologizing <laughs> as I do often on behalf of the medical profession. Oh. And she had a florid, I mean, florid Hashimoto's, like you couldn't have missed it if you bothered to actually mm -hmm. check the labs. So there were all these women who were struggling with symptoms, who were being ignored, dismissed, and often... I can't even tell you how many women came to me at the point where they'd been to a couple of doctors and they were like, well, maybe I am just stressed. Maybe I am just depressed. And not that there's anything wrong with just being stressed or just being depressed, but these women had a medically diagnosable problem that had been missed. And also at the same time, I was having women who maybe had gone to an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, of which I am also, but had gone to one who was like, oh, you're tired, it's a thyroid problem, take thyroid medication without doing proper testing. So again, back to that third path, it's like, okay, what's true? Where are people getting overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed? What can we, what tools do we have that I can help? One, just like from the starting place, helping women be seen and heard and believed. It's often a place I start with my patients. It's like, I just want you to know, I believe you. We may not know what's going on, We'll figure it out or, or whatever, but I believe you. And then just the actual starting to you know sit with woman after woman after woman who did have a thyroid problem, that got me to look into the data. And I was like, wow, I didn't learn as a midwife about thyroid problems, which really can affect fertility, pregnancy, postpartum. 
I didn't learn as a physician that one in eight women is going to potentially have a thyroid problem in her life statistically. And I didn't learn that 80% or more of autoimmune conditions in general, but Hashimoto's affect women, let alone why or what to do about it. So I decided to just answer the questions one-on-one with my patients. And then I was saying it so much, I started answering it in my social media and my blogs and ultimately the book. And there was an intersection with adrenals and thyroid, which we can talk about if you want. And that's why that book, Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, actually covers both because they're they're not different sides of the same coin. They're just sort of different manifestations that can actually happen together or adrenal can cause thyroid that are really common due to a lot of the different ecosystem challenges that women face just being in this culture and in this world. Thank you for all of that. And And, oh, I'm a mama and a grandmama (laughs) and my two grandkids, I got to midwife them at home. So that's probably my favorite thing about all my everything. Oh my goodness. Oh, that is so beautiful. I did not know that you were a grandmother. Congratulations. My mom. Eight and 11. So there's so many things that I have to like say. I should have been writing it down, but a note on, I just love the path that you're taking now and it makes sense too for the beautiful phase of life that you are in. And that is my intention too with like what I'm doing, right? And what I'm so passionate about is that it's going to naturally evolve with me as I also evolve and change and grow. So that is, that's what's so beautiful about this line of, of work and this line of healthcare as well. My mom is going through menopause and she's like, I have no support. Like truly no one understands, including myself which is the most important, what is going on with my body. And so there is this huge need for more information. But yes, to the point of what you said of, you know, there needs to be acceptance on both sides. And I... I have experienced this in various ways, even with just, I'm, I'm smiling right now because I'm releasing a podcast episode on it tomorrow, but even just, you know, how you eat, for example, and how like there seem to be these extremes are these very like dogmatic approaches that someone will take over and promote and then people fall into that. And then if you're not a part of that, you seem to be judged by at least a, you know, a group of people. And I'm releasing an episode on my transition out of being vegan, which I was for so long. I was too. Yeah. Yeah. I I stopped when I was pregnant with my fourth baby. I started when I was 15 really for environmental and spiritual reasons. And, um, but then with my fourth pregnancy and I had been vegetarian, not mm-hmm. only, not, not strictly vegan through all the pregnancies, but yeah, there was just this point where I was like, I, I could not eat enough rice and beans or tofu or like <laughs> vegan proteins to feel like I was feeding myself and my baby. And I was like, I need to eat something different. Yeah. yeah. And it, it works. I say it works until it doesn't. Right. Yeah, and you just you give know- yourself permission, right. To actually listen to yourself instead of to yet the next expert with the biggest TikTok following and thereby the (laughs) biggest book contract, thereby the biggest advance, Mm -hmm. thereby the biggest marketing platform. So it seems like it's a bigger than life thing. So it must be true when actually somebody made it up and branded it and marketed it. Exactly. Speaking my language. And it's sad too, because, you know, people in these very, you know, like powerful positions and it doesn't make them bad people, but it's, you know, them promoting something, whether it's carnivorism or veganism or whatever it is, it really takes a lot of us, especially women away from our intuition of what really feels great. And then it trickles into other issues, right? Whether it be thyroid or whether it be, you know, adrenals, whatever it is. Or like this persistent disordered eating Mm. where even if we're eating well, we're still always wondering if we're eating the right thing. Like we can't just fully be relaxed and enjoy our food. And then I also feel like there's a lot of couched diet messaging in like hidden behind the word metabolism, for example. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I'm curious to know if you relate to this too. I'm not sure your reasons for going vegan to begin with, but I, especially as an herbalist, felt very judged by herbalist and non-herbalist for starting to eat animal proteins again. I have to tell you a funny story. (laughs) So I was teaching, this was like 25 years ago at a very prominent herbal school. 
And it was a weekend intensive. And the person who was running the program was there to like introduce me. And then on the first day, just left menus for everyone to order lunch. And it was going to be paid for. So I could just see everyone was waiting for me to see what I was going to order, right? To like, so I I said, I'm going to have um, a double, because it was like a local place that had all kinds of food. I was like, I'm going to have a double cheeseburger, fries, a Coke. And everyone, and I mean, I hadn't had a Coke. I was a vegetarian at the time, but I was just like, come on, you guys, eat what you want to eat. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm not here to judge. You're not here to judge me. Just eat the food. And um, everyone was kind of laughed, but I could just see, I was watching, I looked up, they were like, everyone was like, okay, what's the food we're going to have? And we'll base our meals off of that. And my, my reasons were, first of all, when I went vegan, it was 1981 and you really couldn't get organic meat easily. I mean, unless you were a farmer or knew a farmer locally, ditto eggs, dairy, and then at that time, I mean, it's still the case, it's gotten worse, but the animal industry is so inhospitable and mm-hmm. harmful and cruel to animals. And, you know, yes, local farmers are thoughtful in how they slaughter and I respect that, but that's not where most meat was coming from back then. Yeah. So there was that, there was um, the fact that hasn't changed that the amount of grain cattle eat is not only not sustainable for the planet, but not sustainable for our ozone. Um, in fact, even now there's this whole controversy, not really controversy, just a fact that a lot of land is being bought out in the Southwest of the United States by foreign cattle farmers to raise cows for beef that's going to be exported. And it's taking up so much land for grain that that's contributing to the huge water table deficits. So for me, it was really a political statement. And um, also, I didn't want antibiotics. It was even before growth hormone was really used in cattle much. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just was, for me, it was just totally a spiritual commitment to planetary care and just feeling. So um, even now I do eat some meat, but I still have to really stop every time because I still feel that. I've taken another life. I'm always, I'm never not aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Braxton and I, that's my partner. We um, give our grace beforehand before yeah. eating. And it, it's just been a year for me too, actually. Um, and I just ate chicken for the first time a few weeks ago. And I was in my office exactly where I'm sitting right now. I was, you know, finishing up the day and all of a sudden I could smell and taste chicken, which was strange because I was like, I haven't, I haven't eaten chicken in like seven years, mm-hmm. but I could smell it and I could taste it. And I ran upstairs to Braxton and I said, let's have chicken tonight. And we are, we're very fortunate to have our, um, two of our favorite local farmers have like a shared, it's like a little tiny home essentially. That's like down the road, less than a mile away. And they're open every single day of the week. And they are just like constantly like bringing in their fresh products. So, um, we're, incredibly fortunate to have that so close. And so he just went and picked up a full chicken and we cooked it that night. And I, it was just so beautiful because I definitely still have that, you know, as well at the beginning of like, oh my gosh, whoa, I'm about to eat this. But, you know, it lasts like a second now. And then I'm like, okay, let's give our grace. And then I was like, I just felt like this, I don't know, like a wild woman, like picking at it with my hands. I was like, I clearly needed this. I really needed this. Yeah, same happened to me. I was um, pregnant with my fourth baby and I had also tandem nursed. So I was basically at that point pregnant or nursing for 11 years straight. Mm. And I was only like 30 and I, or around there. And um, I just remember feeling depleted at a meal. Like I was still hungry and I couldn't, and, and we had a very, we had like an excellent diet. And I just, remember feeling like I need more. And so my partner, who was also still vegetarian at the time, um, got some chicken breasts and we cooked it. And it was just like, I felt like something almost like as if you put this 
spark plugs in a car and the engine. Yeah. I just felt revved up in a way, but I was also able to eat a little bit smaller volume and feel more satisfied. And now I eat it. I go in and out. You know, we still have a plant-based diet, but we use meat as a complement for protein. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say meat, fish, chicken, eggs, eggs aren't really meat, but you know what I mean? And, and occasional red meat. And, you know, I think this is a really important thing. I've, um, you know, back to thyroid, I couldn't count on two hands at all how many women have actually come to my practice after they've gone online and done some kind of cleanse or fast or gone to a retreat center and done some kind of cleanse or fast, which I'm not opposed if somebody's choosing to do it and they do it in a really healthy, balanced way, but... And for a short period of time, but I've had women who have done five, seven day, 10 day juice fast, water fasts, and they have their first thyroid symptoms often within a few weeks of that or a month or so of that, or may start noticing they're really tired, really cold, maybe losing some hair. And then the thyroid symptoms become more evident. And look, I mean, is it possible that they weren't feeling great before and that's why they wanted to do the cleanse? Sure. But I've just seen this too many times where somebody is really feeling well and they do it. I had one patient who felt great after she did a fast the first time. So she decided to do another one about three months later. And that's when it kind of went over the top for her. So, and it's easy to also look online and go, oh, well, you know, this person has a cleanse or that person has a cleanse and they're healthy. But And maybe sometimes they are, but you can't judge somebody's outsized by what they say, because I can tell you there are also people who are in the wellness space who have thyroid problems and they're promoting these things, but they're not disclosing that they have these other problems, right? Mm, Totally, totally. An episode that I just released was actually with one of my friends. Her name is Shannon Leparsky. She is um, integrative health and medicine practitioner. She wrote two books on the plant-based diet and as it pertains to cycle syncing and hormones. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And I, and I see that now she eats. Um, and by the way, I, I loved both of her books. I read both of them. I was also plant-based at the time. And now she's not. She's a new mama. Well, new. I mean, her baby's almost three years old. And she now, I mean, I see on her stories, she's omnivore. You know, she, she eats quality foods and she eats whatever. Hey queen, if you're struggling with some monthly PMS, then it sounds like your hormones need some lovin'. And as you know, I'm the founder of Soothe, an all-natural herbal supplement that I want to give you a special discount code on because I'm so grateful for you listening to my podcast. So use code all lowercase podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T on your purchase at Soothe. I'll also link it up in the show notes so you guys can just head over there, click the link, be led to the Peace Love Hormones website, and make sure that you're using the right code to save you some moolah. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. Love you. And that's the thing is like, we're going to change through our life cycles. Like at 56, I'm finding that long held practices that I've had aren't working for me mm-hmm. anymore or work patterns that I've had aren't working for me anymore. And so like we get to these different phases of our lives. And I think if we're always looking outside for answers rather than, and sometimes we need it, right? Like, I mean, often I say to my patients, look, I'm here to help you. So you don't have to work so hard figuring it out for yourself anymore. Cause that's exhausting. I'm not here to tell you what to do though. And I think so many books on, and podcasts and websites, and there's just so much information that's conflicting, contradictory, and people are so certain of it when they tell you, but then those mm-hmm. very same people two years later, maybe telling you something entirely different, or they're not necessarily fully practicing what they say. So I I think it's good to look out there and see, you know, if you need information, but who's your source? Are they selling you a whole bunch of supplements behind that? Are they telling you how great green juices are? And then they're also selling them to you. Like what, are they doing it with integrity or does it feel salesy? Um, Is it a woman or a man telling you how you should eat? (laughs) which is very important. It's very important. All of the mentors that I've had that I've really like gotten the most value out of and really highly respected were not dogmatic about how they ate. It was very, you know, 
quality first and just really listening to your yeah. body, listening to your cravings, what those cravings are, are telling you on a deeper level and how to listen to that. Well, and it's interesting too, right? Because like for so many years, paleo was mm-hmm. everything and it was still out there, but I think there's been a pushback on plant-based eating, but it's not like either one is how our ancestors traditionally ate. And so like a couple of thoughts on that one is that, you know, there are books on how paleo is better for your hormones, but actually every study that's ever been done on hormones, estrogen levels, healthy estrogen, all show that a plant-based or vegetarian diet is actually better for healthy estrogen levels. Mm -hmm. So that kind of the, the actual evidence completely shoots the theories out of the water. And the other thing is I used to be on this scientific advisory board. I was on it for six years. And the actual person who coined the term paleo diet, Boyd Eaton, he wrote this article mm-hmm. about 27 years ago now on paleolithic diet. He was a physician, is a physician, and it was just research-based. He's never made a penny off of this. He's never monetized it, written a book. He just talked about what our ancestors ate. So we were at lunch one day and we sat together and I was like, so I'm really curious what you think about the paleo diet now. And he said, stay tuned because he was giving a presentation after lunch. And the whole, like his whole premise was one, paleo diet as it's promoted has nothing to do with what they talked about or the research. And two, it's entirely not planetary sustainable. If that many people ate that much meat, it would be a horrible carbon footprint. So you know, looking at, but then on the other hand, you can have people who are so dogmatically vegan or vegetarian. And I've had many patients like this. I've had many people who come through my gut reset and they're also like, they're living on carbs because they're not getting the energy balance they need. They don't know how to, or they're not quite getting what they need from their diet either, or they're anemic. So, or low in B12, like all the things Mm -hmm. I see. So it's like, how do we let go of the stories that we're hearing about what's that is totally true or that's wrong and bad and look to actually what our ancestors did and each of us also looking culturally to what our own ancestors did right and looking at planetary sustainability and, and looking at the data that we actually have there's a there's a lot mm-hmm. of data like the only diet that really shows ongoing sustainability for health and the planet is a Mediterranean style diet. I had heard you mention that about the paleo uh, diet beforehand. I think you mentioned it on a previous ep- podcast episode of yours. Yeah, and I'm not against it either. I'm just saying it's right. It's just not an the only interesting. Way. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting thing to know, like fact. So, um, okay, so thyroid. I think first, let's just explain what the thyroid is because there's a lot of hype around it. It's thrown out a lot. And I I think most people just don't even understand what the thyroid gland is. So can you just first start there? So 101, a gland is an organ in your body, like the thyroid, the adrenals, the pancreas, the ovaries that secretes. So it produces and squeezes out or releases into the bloodstream most accurately hormones. Hormones is simply a word for chemical messengers, or they take biochemical information from one part of your body to another part of your body where that information is received in what are called receptors. So for example, the brain produces hormones that stimulate the thyroid or the ovaries. Those glands have receptors, or it's like a lock and a key is a very simple way of saying it. So the hormone is the key, the receptor is the lock, it binds in there, and then it sets off like a domino effect of things that happen in your body, proteins that get made, cellular signaling that happens that makes different functions happen. The thyroid is a gland right here in the neck. If you went like that and did a little bow bow tie, it's a butterfly-shaped gland that produces hormones. One of those is called uh, it's called T4. And T4 is a semi-active but less active form of what then goes into your bloodstream as T4 goes to your liver and gets converted into something called T3. And that's the active thyroid hormone. It goes around your body and it does all these amazing things. In fact, thyroid hormone does like 300 different functions in your body or something. It's basically involved in everything. So 
it affects our cognitive function, our heart rate, our growth and metabolism. So both our physical growth, bone growth, but also how we burn energy, how quickly or slowly we burn energy. And it's like a thermometer that is constantly adjusting how much energy to burn based on how much energy the brain is registering that we have in our body at any given time. It is involved in ovarian function, pregnancy, so staying pregnant. If you have low thyroid function, more likely have a miscarriage, high over-functioning thyroid too. Uh, Baby's growth and metabolism, kind of all the things. It just does so many things. And when our thyroids get off balance, if you will, they go in one of two directions, either hyper, which is much less common, but not rare, where your thyroid is over-functioning. So in that case, think of all the things the thyroid does. Your heart rate gets too fast. The cognitive function can actually make you wired and even unable to sleep. Your metabolism speeds up, so you're actually potentially losing weight. Your digestion actually is, rate of digestion is partly controlled by your thyroid. So you're just pooping all a lot, like frequently. And not only um, with the weight loss, but you're hungry all the time and you're eating and you can never get satisfied, but you're still losing weight. There are just so many things that can happen when your thyroid is over-functioning. More commonly, we have under-functioning thyroid. That's like... 90% of cases of thyroid problems are underfunctioning, And that's one of two categories. It can either be autoimmune or non-autoimmune hypo. So hyper, we know that word from like moving around like crazy. Yeah. Hyperthyroid <laughs> is overfunctioning. It's too fast. Hypo, underfunctioning. The symptoms are things like fatigue. Either one, hyper or hypo, can cause anxiety. Hyper is more likely to cause severe anxiety, like you're just so jangled. I mean, it's like, I mean, imagine like if somebody had like red for four Red Bulls or something like that, where hypo, hypo tends to cause more depression, but it can also cause anxiety. Hypo can make it really hard to sleep or it can make you sleep too much. You're just like oversleeping mm-hmm. or you're just tired all the time with hyper. You're like super energized hypo. You're just fatigued. And it's like, you don't even know why you're not necessarily doing anything different with hypo. You're more likely to gain weight, have constipation. If you think of that thermostat analogy I, or metaphor I used before with hyper, you tend to run really hot. Everything is amped up with hypo. Women often feel really chilled or cold all the time. Your cognitive function can go down. You can have brain fog, um, slow heart rate is something you might not notice, but it can be contributing to that feeling of depression. And the list kind of goes on hair loss, dry skin, losing the outer part of your eyebrows. These are all really common symptoms. And that can happen either if it's non-autoimmune, it can be a nutrient deficiency, It can be something like uh, an environmental exposure. It can be a viral infection. Getting COVID, getting the flu actually makes your body dial down your thyroid function so that instead of spending energy on metabolism, you're actually saving energy for healing. Mm -hmm. So any kind of illness like that. Eating, under eating too, huge one. Under eating is a big one. So under eating is your your brain requires like 20% of your glucose even mm-hmm. at rest. So when you're under eating, your brain registers that as kind of like a four alarm fire. It's one of your body's biggest perceived emergencies. And it tells your body to slow down metabolism. I always imagine it like if we knew there was going to be a shortage of grain or something, we'd start storing it in our like cupboards. Yeah. Your body is getting mm-hmm. the same message. Her energy is low. We need to dial back her metabolism. Let's let her hold on to a little bit of weight. Let's make her tired so she rests more. Yeah. Hence everyone why also another reason why the detoxes and drinking juice for 30 days straight can actually do way more harm than good. Yeah. And even cause weight gain or, you know, perhaps just no weight loss at all if that is the intention with it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's an interesting thing that you mentioned because a lot of people diet And then they reach a plateau and they're like, I can't lose the last 15. I've lost 40 pounds, but I can't lose the last 15. That's the thyroid. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is your body has experienced significant weight loss. It's like, I don't know if there's a problem. 
what's going on here? Is she sick? We don't know. And so the body actually calibrates down metabolism. So your weight loss starts to slow down. So we have to say like, okay, well, we have to compensate for metabolism with more exercise or something. But that is the reason it's the thyroid going, let's put the brakes on here. Mm -hmm. And one big thing I didn't mention, which is of course the reason to be here is thyroid and women's hormones. And so similarly, as your body is trying to conserve energy, first of all, ovulating requires an enormous amount of energy. It's like, it's actually an energy intense process, but even more than that, I feel like our bodies are so wise. And so if you're fasting and you're nutrient depleted, or you're really stressed and really exhausted, or you've had an infection, your body, your brain and your body are going to go, hmm, probably not the best time for her to get pregnant. So let's make her skip a period or two and not ovulate, or let's just slow things down a little bit. And so that can really affect your menstrual cycles, your ovulation, um, how much you bleed can affect the whole thing end to end. So, and then thyroid problems are also common in menopausal women. So someone might say, oh, well, you're just in menopause. That's why you're so tired or not sleeping well or gaining 15 pounds. And it may be true. It may be part of menopause, but it also may be thyroid function. And poor thyroid function as we get older, like 60s and beyond, can actually be a contributing factor to dementia. So it's, or heart, uh, um, heart failure. So it's no small thing. We really need to make sure we're getting diagnosed and properly treated. Absolutely. Can you also say something on medications and specifically like hormonal contraceptive and in general, xenoestrogens, environmental toxins and how those yeah. also impact the thyroid? Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I just know like per, speaking from personal experience, my thyroid really went through the ringer. I mean, I, I had anorexia for much of my younger years and that impacted my thyroid and then, you know, the refeeding and then just that whole cycle. Um, And then amidst all of that, I was put on hormonal contraceptive. So I know I'm not alone in that. And I would love for that to just be like explained for my, for my listeners of how that really impacts your thyroid as well. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. I know that's a hard journey to go through and glad you're here and safe on the other side of it. Thank you. And yes, extreme weight loss, extreme restriction, certainly the extremity of anorexia nervosa, and also the stress that puts on your system for many young women can be a a short-term or long-term contributor to thyroid problems. So it may cause transient or it may cause permanent. So in fact, I was just seeing a patient the other day and she was telling me her story. She didn't have a thyroid problem. She had some other issues around fertility. And I was just like, did you by chance have an eating disorder ever. And she's kind of like opened up and went into the whole story. She hadn't gotten there. She hadn't shared that yet. So yes, that definitely xenoestrogens. So for anyone not listening, not aware of this who's listening, xeno means foreign or outside. So these are estrogens that come from outside our bodies through things like plastics, phthalates and body products. Um, chemicals that are used in plastics to soften them or things that are like the chemicals that are lining nonstick pans, for example. But they are also present in fragrances, non-organic fragrances, like in our shampoos, our perfumes, et cetera, et cetera, like the Uber car fragrance, all that stuff. It's so funny that you say that because whenever we get into like an Uber or something that, or even like when you're on a plane and yeah, there's like, you know, they're like blasting out the Clorox and then all these things. I literally am just like this. Like, I know. Covering my hair. <laughs> like, one, one of the good things about masks on planes and then. Right. I know. I was like, at least we can filter out a little bit. Yeah. But in the, in a, in the car in an Uber, I roll down the window and I stick my head out the window. (laughs) And the thing is, I mean, a tiny exposure is probably not going to have any lasting impact, but chronic exposure to those, when we breathe them in, they still are chemicals that bind to our estrogen receptors. So they can actually act as estrogens in our bodies. And many people may have heard the term used like uh, I think you said en- estrogen or endocrine disrupting chemicals, but these endocrine di- disrupting chemicals, we tend to think of estrogen disruptors, but they're equally called not just EDCs, endocrine disrupting chemicals, but TDCs, 
thyroid-disrupting chemicals. So most of the ones that we know bind to, thy- bind to estrogen receptors also bind to thyroid receptors. And there can be other things that aren't necessarily just estrogen-disrupting, but thyroid in other ways. So bromides, which if anyone studied chemistry, there's the periodic table of elements. The last column is the halides. There's iodide, uh, bromide, fluoride, and those are able to chemically bind to the same site on the thyroid where the thyroid uses iodine to make thyroid hormone. So T4 thyroxine, T3 is triiodothyronine. It's primarily iodine bound to these other mm-hmm. molecules. And so when we're eating foods that have um, bromide, which is used as a dough softener, in conventionally available pizzas and pastries and other things that rise, typically, um, we're getting exposed to those. Even if we're getting too much fluoride or possibly any fluoride, frankly, in our water, it can bind to thyroid. So there are a lot of ways that it can be impacted. The pill is interesting. So one, it depends on whether it's estrogen or progestin-based. Progestin-based, I haven't heard of any specific binding that can affect the thyroid, but I don't feel like the research has been done adequately. And similarly, there's very little like research-based evidence that the pill alters thyroid function. A little bit, tiny bit, maybe, but that's not what women experience. And when we look at the research available on women, women's health, women's hormones, first of all, of the 80,000 chemicals that are out there in our environment, and that doesn't even include the ways they're combining in our environment or in our body, 200 have been tested for their impact on women's reproductive health. All the rest were grandfathered in. And I notice I don't say grandmother, I say grandfather. (laughs) Yes, I understand. Um, The Environmental Protection Agency has been very scanty in its attention to women's reproductive function and research. And similarly, when you look at just the overall research on women's health and hormones. I mean, until recently, women have been largely left out of research studies. There are even some studies looking at the impact of the pill with men taking it. I mean, it's so bizarre. It's it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. That's the perfect word for it. I was even just reading uh, an article the other day on NCBI and uh, even just like the the words and the descriptive words that they use, like, women complain of X, Y, and Z. Don't use in my practice. and have. Oh my goodness. That irked me so much the other day. And I was next to Braxton and I was- Yeah. I'm really on my herbal and students, my integrative medicine students about Mm -hmm. it. I'm like, please let's take the word complaint out of any. But when you open a medical chart, the first thing it says is CC, Mm. which is chief complaint. Mm That, uh, it's just that alone, it just makes it seem like it's not valid. It's like in their head, they're complaining about it. It's not fact. It's not true. Yeah. When I was doing hormone intelligence, no, when I did the adrenal thyroid book, I had an editor who I, I let go of, but uh, she would say, she was editing and it would say like, women are not being heard by their physicians. And she'd say, I think we should say women feel unheard. Or women mm. report being unheard. I'm like, no, women are not being heard. That's just they feel like that's exactly the problem. It's like, mm-hmm. as a woman, you're gaslighting women's feelings. Like, bye, you're not the person for this book. Nice to meet you, but yep. <laughs> no. Um, so I feel that we have to do two things. We have to be careful when we read on wellness, we need to use the same critical thinking about wellness information that we use about conventional information. And just because 50 different blogs say that the pill has a major impact on your thyroid doesn't mean it does. And and the point is like, I could look up a specific fact about something I know that I said, like something I made, I could make up a fact tomorrow, write an article about it, And within a month, 50 other people will say that. Like I could actually do an experiment, right? So just because somebody says it and 50 people repeat it doesn't make it more true. And sometimes the origin of it is just one person's experience. And it doesn't invalidate the one person's experience. It just means it's not as rampant as we might think. So we have to look at 
there isn't really strong evidence that actually says taking the pill will somehow permanently damage your thyroid. And yet the evidence isn't fully there because the research hasn't been done. I don't think for most women that taking the pill permanently damages their thyroid. because It's not a thyroid suppressor. But what I do see is a lot of women who, when they come off the pill, experience hypofunctioning thyroid that may not be permanent and persistent. So just diagnosing someone immediately with a thyroid problem, if their numbers are a little bit squidgy, may not also be the best thing. And not scaring Mm -hmm. people who might need to be on the pill for something that like they're permanently damaging themselves. So, and then looking at what's true for you, right? It may be that taking the pill did affect Mm -hmm. your estrogen or your thyroid or uh, not your, but your thyroid or something else. Right. And also just looking at the nutrient depletion as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say the pill does actually impact nutrients. So there's a weird phenomenon and I don't understand why this happens, but most women who are on the pill, their vitamin D doesn't go down because of being on the pill. But when women go off the pill, there's a weird transient drop for, could be six, eight weeks in vitamin D. That's also only been studied this much, but vitamin D is also really important for thyroid function. We know that people with low vitamin D are more apt to develop low thyroid function and that giving people vitamin D who are low in it, who have low thyroid function can help restore thyroid function. So I wonder, and again, you know, I don't want to see this on 50 blogs, like, oh, the reason that vitamin, you know, the pill causes hypothyroid is vitamin D, but I suspect that may be one of the ways and it affects other nutrients too, as you said, magnesium, B6, the list goes on. Selenium, which we need for thyroid function. Exactly. Well, okay. So I feel like we have the hormone or the thyroid 101 down. And I would love to get to a few questions if possible before we end because, oh my gosh, Aviva, I, first of all, I just want to like, let everyone listening know, and they already know this, but I love my community. They're really awesome and just so active and very engaging. I love it. I love mine too. I love reading social comments. Mm-hmm. People are so down on social media and I get all the reasons for it, but then there are the little golden light parts of it, right? Yes. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited I, to be part of your community now. I know. Likewise, I have reduced the amount of people that I follow on Instagram by so much over the last two years. I'm at like 300, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, it used to be over a thousand. And I just like went through what really like kickstarted it was pretty much two years ago at this point. I felt so drained being on social media and and that was even with like the the boundaries that I had with social media and only being on it for so long and not being on it you know for the first one to two hours of waking up every morning so I I was doing all of that but it was just in being on the app you know didn't matter what time of the day it made me feel low so I was like, it's because I don't resonate with anything that I'm seeing right now. Yeah. And everything creates this like tightness of the chest, like almost yeah. like I have to go to battle, right? Because I don't agree. I'm not in resonance with what I'm reading and seeing. And it was triggering, especially, I mean, coming from a disordered eating past and I'm seeing people, you know, drink juices for every meal. <laughs> I mean, I've only ever followed like probably 140 people at the most, but just because I keep it so small and I don't spend much time on Like I spend time trying to like and appreciate what other people do. But yeah, I found also for me that no matter like how old I am or what it is, it's like, it still creates sometimes FOMO or -hmm. a compare and despair. And it's like, I don't know. There's almost sometimes this over-disclosure, like the the latest influencer who's like, I've got my eight-figure business. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I don't have an eight-figure business. And I'm like doing all this stuff or all the things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the perfect vacations or... Mm-hmm. And then sometimes too, <laughs> I knew like the backstory and I'm like, what I'm seeing isn't matching the backstory. And that's mm-hmm. making me feel like I'm participating in promoting something to people that isn't genuine or sometimes too like there are people who I I love what they do and it's beautiful 
and they may be promoting something that they're wearing or designing their home. And then I'm thinking, okay, I know design and I know clothing and jewelry. And I'm like, that's a $40,000 outfit. So what am I being part of promoting by following that? It's complicated. Yeah, it is very complicated. It's also just an interesting phenomenon. I mean, we were never meant to be contactable at like all hours of no, the day I don't from do people all that. over the I'm world. Like, yeah, I I know. I need to I'm learning that, um getting better with that, but I remember when I first started health and wellness blogging and I was like stressed myself out answering every single message because I was like I'm a bad person if I don't answer and had all these narratives going. So social media is so beautiful in so many ways, but it's it's also it can be negative at times. Well, and it's not just social media, right? It's like I started keeping a panda planner just to Mm -hmm. have a physical written space of what I'm doing each week and what I'm taking on each day Mm -hmm. as a way to, one, see what I can realistically get done and two, like really be gentle with myself so I'm not taking on too much. So even just this morning, I was looking at my schedule and it was like, I have to... review my episode for tomorrow, create the article from it, two patient notes, chatting with you. And then like there were several meetings and I looked at it, I was like, this is not actually feasibly possible in one day to do all this. So then next to a couple of the things I wrote, if you can get these today, get to these today, great. If not, you can do it tomorrow. It's okay. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> I needed to talk to myself that way. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I'm so honored that you chose to do this today. I know when you emailed me yesterday, like, you know, I'm so packed. I was like, I feel for her. And I am always so understanding too when we need to reschedule. Well, and that's a way that I set boundaries. Like when you wrote to me and said, um, I'm going to create a Google sheet and we can toss ideas or something back and forth. And I was like, Thank you so much. I promise you I will not have time to get to that Google sheet today. <laughs> and that's like how I'll be like, this is what I can do. Mm-hmm. That's where. Absolutely. Yes. So, and that's where I was getting with that is I have never received so many messages. Like uh, it was yeah. just a question box. So yeah. those type of responses, I've never received so many. So it just goes to show how many women are experiencing or experiencing thyroid like symptoms, whether it's been diagnosed or not. And so question number one, we'll just do a few, but why out of all things, right? Because usually with women, it's like we're overdiagnosed. Why is it with thyroid issues, we tend to be underdiagnosed? And also, why is it so hard to get thyroid labs run or anything? I mean, like a really big and great question. So one, you said something really powerful when you were saying this question. You said something about thyroid-like symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it is really important to realize, and as I mentioned earlier, in the functional integrative world, the wellness world, it can be highly Mm overdiagnosed. So I've had patients who came to me who were diagnosed with a thyroid problem, put on medication, but didn't have a thyroid problem at all, actually had really severe anemia that was causing fatigue and feeling cold and constipation and dry skin and losing hair. So there are a lot of other things. So it is really important to have a comprehensive workup and not just say, oh, it's thyroid, unless it's obviously your thyroid. But you can have thyroid and be anemic at the same time, for example, too. So so to the question of why is it so, why are women so underdiagnosed and why are thyroid labs so hard to get? First of all, So many of the symptoms that women experience and the primary symptoms that are more obvious that get a woman to go to the doctor, fatigue, depression, poor sleep, weight gain, brain fog. And those are symptoms that historically, we can go back 200 years, that women have been dismissed for or diagnosed with hysteria or other really harmful diagnoses and treatments that have been given if they were given at all. But it falls into this almost like trope of a woman being kind of complainy and kind of tired and kind of depressed and gaining weight. So we're dismissed with those as it's just stress or it's not really a big deal or you just need to get more sleep or more exercise or change your diet. So that's one thing. Also, I think a lot of women, when they hear, oh, it's just stress, we believe it. We're like, oh yeah, well, I am really stressed because we 
most of us yeah. are kind Understandable. of Understandable, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I did just have a baby or yeah, I am in menopause. So we also take that gaslighting or the dismissal and we actually internalize it. And sometimes we're just too, if you have a thyroid problem, you might just be too freaking tired to push back either, right? You're just like, okay, must be something else. So that's the dismissal. The not getting the labs is complex in that there are two equally recognized ways of approaching thyroid labs. The main way that has been conventionally accepted is a thyroid lab range of um, like 0.5 to 4.8 for TSH, the main thing that's checked. So in medical training, we're taught only check the TSH. And if it's anywhere in that range, it's basically normal. On top of that, doctors are literally given leeway to diagnose something called subclinical hypothyroidism, where even if you're within five points over the upper limit on the lab value, you can say, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's my discretion to decide. So you can have a woman who's literally sitting in front of you. She's gained 30 pounds. She's losing her hair. She's depressed, exhausted, can't get out of bed. Or maybe she's having miscarriages or having trouble breastfeeding her baby or has postpartum depression or whatever the things are, because it can manifest in more complex ways. And her TSH is 4.6, right? It hasn't gotten all the way to 4.8. And the doctor's like, well, you're fine. What? She's not fine. So it's how it's been interpreted. There's another group, another endocrine group or a society, like medical society, that says the way thyroid labs were determined was based on thousands of people with no questions asked about whether they did or didn't have thyroid symptoms. So if you take 10,000 people, let's say you take 10,000 women and one in eight has thyroid problems that are undiagnosed or diagnosed, but nobody's asking, then that is going to skew what the lab value should be because it's going to be higher because some people have the problem. So in this other way of looking at it, only people with no thyroid symptoms or thyroid-like symptoms were tested. And when those labs are looked at, it's a much narrower range. Like it's the upper limit is much lower. So there's competing beliefs on what the ranges should be. And sometimes women fall outside or even at the upper limit and they're told it's not a problem. And then there is the idea that we have to save money on lab tests. So only do the TSH, but that doesn't tell the whole story. Gotcha. Saving money as on like the, the doctor and the office side or on the patient side, save money? On the insurance reimbursement oh, side. Oh, interesting. So not ordering too many labs because the insurance company, and it is a big problem, but unfortunately we're ordering gazillions of labs that are not needed and doing gazillions of procedures that right. are not needed. But on this discrete set of labs, which could be price adjusted mm-hmm. or turned into a you know affordable bundle, women are not getting them. And it's important. It's really important. So women can have elevated antibodies in pregnancy, but not elevated TSH, that thyroid stimulating hormone, and be at higher risk for developing a thyroid problem postpartum, which could lead to postpartum depression, not producing enough mm-hmm. breast milk, but nobody's checking. Well, I'm checking. Some people yeah. are checking. But, yeah. <laughs> right. the, the whole picture is needed. The last time I got my thyroid checked, it was two years ago. I went to someone in Austin who was marketed as like a holistic gynecologist and they were anything but, I realized, within 30 to 60 seconds of walking into the office. And, you know, I, I checked with the nurse. I was like, are you running TSH, T3, T4, uh, TPO, everything? Is this a full panel? And she said, yes came back a week and a half, two weeks later, and it wasn't. It was just TSH. <laughs> and I, you know, called back. Well, and sometimes the lab will override that. And the lab oh, will, I'll, that happens to me too. I'll order really? a full panel and sometimes I'll have to either just work with what I have or send the person back. So Interesting. Well, that's, so that was what I really wanted to know. And you got to it at the end. I was like, but why won't the doctors just order it? You know? And so you, you got that for me and that makes sense too. Yeah. So it's basically the training. And historically, there's been a resistance to that full panel. I think that there's been other resistance. So for example, for decades, it's been just take only T4 and don't take T3 if you do need medication. And then over the last two, three years, new data has come up that's showing that 
actually some people really need T3. They're not, I mean, we already knew that, right? We knew that. But some people aren't converting the T4 to the T3, so they really need the T3. And so now more, many more doctors are using it, but a lot still don't know. That's the other problem. Uh, all right. Well, we only have time for one more question. Just really quickly, if you can give us, I'm not, I was going to say like five natural tips to just support your thyroid in general, however many, if it, whether it's four, whether it's six, what are some of your favorite tips for supporting your thyroid that are easy, like, you know, digestible for people to do? Yeah. Well, we talked about stress and I never want to mm-hmm. use stress as an excuse to dismiss somebody. However, stress really can have an impact on the thyroid. So vis-a-vis affecting the adrenals, stress can have an impact on how much thyroid hormone we produce, how our bodies use thyroid hormone. So doing everything, and besides you deserve to have less stress in your life. We all do, right? Like the, it's okay in your planner for that day if you can't get something done. So that is really, really important. Then I would say blood sugar balance probably rivals sleep for importance, but one of those two in next, let's say blood sugar balance Keeping that blood sugar steady for all the reasons we talked about is really important to reduce that stress load that then also contributes through the adrenals to blocking thyroid function, but also tells your body that you have to dial back thyroid function. So keeping blood sugar really steady with good quality proteins in your diet, good quality fats, making sure you're not starting the day with sweets, making sure you're not getting hungry or hangry, keeping that nice and steady. Sleep, critically important for thyroid function because... When we're not getting enough sleep, we have actually increased inflammation, increased risk of immune dysfunction. Again, we're tired. So what is your body going to do? Dial back the thermometer, dial back that register to make you rest more. Um, And then sleep also increases cortisol. So again, that adrenal piece. Okay. So we have stress, blood sugar balance, sleep. I am a huge proponent of avoiding endocrine disruptors. I am like deeply soul committed to it. (laughs) And yes, learning how to do it may be a little more work. Making the commitment at times may be a little more expensive, but it's like those commercials, like for everything else, there's MasterCard, whatever, like for everything (laughs) else, you're paying with your health basically. Mm -hmm. So you can't put a price on, on your health in my opinion. So how do you find ecological and economical ways to make sure that you're not getting phthalates perfumed products, make sure you're not getting exposed to BPA or BPS, kind of all the things. And I talk about these in Hormone Intelligence and Adrenal Thyroid Revolution and on my website, but really dialing back your endocrine disruptor use. I literally have never owned a nonstick pan. I mean, if I was at someone's house and they made eggs in a nonstick pan, I'm not going to not eat them for breakfast. I'm just going to be like, okay, just not even saying anything. But unless it was one of my kids. And then I'd be like, dude, why do you have a nonstick pan in your house? Right. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, uh, these are just like little commitments. Uh, I don't have off-gassing furniture or carpets in my house, all the things. So I would say that's number four. And then number five, I would probably say, make sure that you're really getting a deeply nourishing diet, not just blood sugar balance, but our thyroid really does depend on vitamin D, magnesium, selenium, iodine. And you may need to take a multivitamin to bump you up to where you need to be, but we can also get a lot from our diet. Not so much the vitamin D. I think most of us, if we're low, we probably need a supplement, but looking to those nutrients that your body just requires to make thyroid hormone, make sure you're getting those. I would say if I could add number six, if you think you have a thyroid problem, you just think you might, reading my book or just going to my website for free resources, learning what labs to ask for, but also learning to advocate for yourself. Do not let yourself be gaslighted, dismissed, ignored, talked over, sent home without answers, mistreated in any way. And in, let's see, on my website, I have like two or three different articles on how to really channel your Wonder Woman your inner Wonder Woman, to make sure that you're getting the care you need and also what to do if you're not getting that and you need to find resources elsewhere, whether it's breaking up with your provider, but we cannot be treated this way anymore. I loved your podcast episode of like being a bad 
girl or yeah, yeah, yeah. Long, I was like yes I was like this is it was like a Monday that I listened to it. I was like I need this on my Monday also just side note on the toxic pans Braxton and I were in a very beautiful very well-known um kitchen home kitchen supply store here in Austin Texas the other day and the lady who was so, so nice and, and she did know a lot. I mean, she's worked in multiple Michelin star restaurants. She knew a lot about cooking and about Sounds the cookware. Yeah, she was awesome. But she, you know, said something about how, you know, there are actually no such things. There's no such thing anymore as toxic pan- pots and pans. And, and I said like a little something and I was like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I forget exactly what it was. I was like, that was banned a while ago, but there's still, you know, components to the non-toxic bands that that there are the to- well or you bought them before chemical exactly it's that it's like like bpa right was replaced with bps it's not necessarily the answer so right yeah so we walked out i mean we were in that store for a while because we did end up buying some other stuff but we walked out of that store and braxton's like what did you think about that? I was like, sometimes <laughs> it's just better not to engage. I agree. It's just like being respectful. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I yeah, was like, and it's yeah. not the time or the person's not receptive. So it just creates right. conflict amongst totally. Humans. And I want to clarify, it's not the ceramic, those beautiful new ceramic. Right. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of those, but there's a brand of beautiful ceramic nonstick. We're talking about the traditional nonstick. Right. I think it's called like my home or our home or something like that. Maybe that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was like, I'm about to be on my period, you know, like sometimes like hopefully she finds my podcast or my Instagram page, you know, oh, sometime, so but like not worth engaging right now. No, I used to find that and I don't menstruate now for a few years, but I always found that if there was a time of month that I was going to hit send on an email that I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't send that. It was right before my period started. So I learned to actually make it a practice like in those couple of days when I'm more mm-hmm. likely to have my filter down and just sort of speak it. Don't hit the send button. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unless I really need to. And then I... <laughs> right. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, I'm going to wait period. until... Yeah. I'm going to wait till I'm on my period because I'll have that, you know, fire to me. So thank you so much, Aviva. I will link up in the show notes both of your books, your Instagram, your website, your podcast everything that we talked about in today's episode of course thank you so much truly like with all of my heart for just spending the last hour with me i for anyone who's heard the little dings my therapist is like hidden my line right now because i'm late for my own therapy session (laughs) (laughs) she's like where are you um but thank you so much i'm so excited to publish this episode to be in each other's worlds and um, all of the things so thank you viva Thank you for having me. I'll look forward to, I mean, we'll have a conversation in like 20 years, right? And we'll each be in a different phase again. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have one before that. But yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> See you in 20 years. All right. Well, thank you. Bye, everybody. Have a good therapy appointment, too. Hi, love bugs. Thank you so much with all of my heart for tuning in to another Peace Love Hormones podcast episode. If you feel inclined to do so, please give us a rating and even leave a comment review would be so helpful or sharing on Instagram or sending me a message, any of the above. I love it all and appreciate every single one of you. And don't forget to use code podcast, all lowercase podcast on your order of Soothe or any of the items available for purchase on the Peace Love Hormones website. And also don't forget to sign up for text and email reminders. Much love, Maddie.